0: How could they how could that perfect place? How could that place where nothing was modernist, nothing was liberal, all of a sudden have its own revolution? Or Or how could that place have been uh, basically, how can you think that there weren't already problems in Kansas is what I'm saying. So when we critique places like France and we look at this advent of liberalism, it's much more complicated than we'd like it to be. And although even though the liberal revisionist historians have destroyed real historical inquiry, there were still things that led people at various times in the, let's say, uh, pre or, or, or early modern period. There were still people who had legitimate critiques of what was happening. That's kind of my point. So libertarianism is a set of ideas and there are parts of it that are true and there are parts of, that, parts of what some of the people say that I think are false but I'm not gonna throw the whole thing out just because of certain things. And that brings me to my, la- my next idea here. And this is the idea of first principles. And this is the one that I was talking to a very, very faithful, very smart, very learned, measured friend of mine today. And he was not anti-libertarian. But when I asked him what he thought, He basically said, I don't have that much time to talk, but it's because the first principles are wrong. Read Chris Ferrara's Liberty, the God that failed. I have not read Chris Ferrara's Liberty, the God that failed. I've read lots of Chris Ferrara, however, and I've read excerpts from it. I, I, I know the crux of the book. I agree with the crux of the book insofar as Liberty as a God is a failure. But I don't agree that because something has wrong first principles that you throw the thing out. And here's why. I'm an Augustinian by heart. St Augustine was instrumental in my conversion. And in fact, I need to read City, or I need to read Confessions again because I haven't read it since I reverted. I should read it now that I've had 6 years, you know, of, of water under the bridge since then. I should probably see how it seems to me now. I'd probably have much more to appreciate about it. Augustine was a Platonist, essentially. He was essentially a Neoplatonist. Platonic philosophy is pagan. Paganism is wrong. It's based on the principle that there are gods. But we know in the Bible... Had I said this last week, that St. Paul says that even the pagans have the natural law written on their heart. It's in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, I believe. And that their conscience bears witness to the law. Basically, we all know the natural law. That's why you're listening to the Kennedy profession where we make sense of a lawless world using the natural law. So if pr- first principles or principles of a philosophy or set of ideas. And remember, this is not scripture. Libertarianism is a set of ideas. If first principles invalidate something, then what on earth was St. Augustine doing using Platonist philosophy? And what does that say about him if we follow the logic all the way through? Fast forward, what does that say about uh, Aquinas? Using Aristotle. I mean, listen, the, the Greek philosophers, they had a lot of great things to say. They also had weird little skeletons in their closet like pederasty. Some of them also believed, for example, in the gods. What does the Bible tell us? The gods of the nations are demons. King David says it, St. Paul says it. But then what does St. Paul do when he goes to the Areopagite in, in Athens? When he talks to the philosophers? He appeals to their sense of the natural law and says, you believe in the unknown God. And here is the un-, and basically he's saying, here is the unknown God. It's this one you've been waiting for. He's the true God. He's the God of gods, Lord of lords. St. Basil the Great says when talking about the great works of literature, and by the way, mythological Greek literature, Homer, that sort of thing, not Simpson, is the basis, you, you, you go to a traditional Catholic academy run by a traditional order like the SSPX, et cetera, the grade nine curriculum will have you reading the Iliad or the Odyssey. St. Basil the Great talking in, oof, 300, 400, I can't remember, made this statement essentially about what are we supposed to do with pagan literature? And he said, you take what is good and you leave what is bad. That's exactly what you do. You take what is good and you leave what is bad. The bad parts don't invalidate the good parts any more than the bad things you've done invalidate the good things you've done. So if I can look at Aristotle and I can say, yeah, like 99% of this is great, I have no problem calling myself an Aristotelian. Does it make any sense for me to look at something like Murray Rothbard or Rockwell or any of these figures? I mean, whatever, pick your guy. Mises, doesn't matter. Bastiat. Should I look at these figures... And should I say, ah, they had one chapter in a book that was way out to lunch. Screw that guy. Well, I hope I don't do that because a lot of people are going to probably never want to read my works again. (laughs) I mean, at this point, I've probably written, I've only been a professional writer now for two years or something like that. Actually, I didn't start getting paid. Actually, it's been almost two years since I got paid the first time to write. And I've written, I don't know, 300 articles or something, whatever it is, essays, books, whatever. Uh, there are things that I look back on some of the things I've written, and my ideas have evolved. I don't believe in evolution, but you know what I'm saying. My ideas have evolved in some things, and I don't really believe the same thing as I once did. Because I'm not divinely inspired, I'm not writing the Bible, I'm just a guy. So just because there are certain first principles, for example, this is an, this is something that I want to talk about specifically. I was reading this book earlier, and uh, again, I said, I'll find, I find something to look into, and I devour these things, and I was starting to make my way through For New Liberty by Murray Rothbard, and there's a passage I came by in the introduction. And I, it made me cringe, and I made me think about it, because I thought, okay, I'm going to have to st- stomach these sorts of things, so I'm trying to get to the bottom of what this means. And it says, uh, religion, the source of bloody wars for centuries, when sects were battling for control of the state, was to be set free from state imposition or interference so that all religions or no religions, non-religions, could exist in peace. That sounds like uh, cringe liberalism, doesn't it? But then I thought to myself, okay, but the person writing this, I think, is pretty smart. So how am I going to try to understand this? Because I think his first principles about religion are wrong, but what are his principles about religion, and what religion does he think of? Well, in the same work, it references that, uh, essentially, uh, errors in kingship and monarchy started coming in place in the 1600s, or 16th century. So what is he referring to? This author is referring to the Protestant Revolt. So this author is recognizing that the Protestant Revolt was wrong. He recognizes that the divine right of kings was wrong. I believe the divine right of kings was wrong because that's not a Catholic idea. The king acting as the Oracle of Delphi and changing the laws of the church, like King Henry VIII, that's a heresy. Now he talks about the bloody, uh, the source of bloody wars for centuries. Well, here's the thing. He's not wrong that there were religious wars in Europe. Whether or not this person has this, and this is not Rothwell, uh, or this is not um, Rothbard uh, writing this. this, is the introduction to his book. But whether or not the author of the introduction believes in the same stipulations of just war that I do, the person is not wrong in saying that there were wars over religion that were uh, at times unjustified. That's true. Again, I can look at my Catholic history and I can go, okay. I can go, there were excesses and there were defects. It's like I was talking to a great priest, a great traditional priest. He's not in the SSPX. He's some other, he's independent, essentially. He's in a diocese, but kind of retired. He's got a great book coming up, by the way. This guy worked at the Vatican under three different popes. He knows where the skeletons are buried, by the way. He's he's releasing a bombshell book coming up. Stay tuned. I can't reveal it yet because it's not finished. And, um... You know, he said to me, Kennedy, there were reforms were needed at the time of the Second Vatican Council. They just reformed things in the wrong direction. Second Vatican Council wouldn't have happened if everything was hunky-dory. The Protestant revolt wouldn't have happened if everything was hunky-dory. The divine right of kings and the errors of Protestant governance wouldn't have come in if everything was hunky-dory. It's not as if one thing's completely perfect one day, and then out of nowhere, something uh, that destroys that happens. That's not how things work. That's not how things happen in our lives. If your wife, God forbid, walks in and says, I want a divorce, it's not like uh, the day before you guys were in your honeymoon. It might seem like that, but when you take some introspection, you go, oh, shite. Things were not so good. So the author is saying the source of bloody wars for centuries when sex were battling for control of the state. The thing is, that's kind of what happened when Protestantism spread its errors throughout Europe, because then it became things like the Huguenots trying to beat the Catholics in France. And the problem here, the, the, the author is wrong about the source of the problem, but he's not wrong that there were problems. You see the distinction there? And he also says, uh, uh was to be set free from state imposition or infer- interference. Um, You see, that's actually, take that two different ways. If I live in a society that has Protestant errors, I don't want the state to be meddling in my true religion, which is the Catholic faith. That's just a basic principle. So for me, if my government stays out of my church, that's a win. Does that mean I believe in the separation of church and state in the erroneous sense? No but I do believe that that state better leave my church alone because my church is true. And that state is full of garbage. So my point for illuminating this passage is essentially a man can be wrong at the source of his first principles, but still based on that wrong belief, he can reason to a reasonable solution and still have a valid philosophy thereafter doesn't mean the entire philosophy is completely sound valid and sound are different things if I say to you the moon is made of green cheese therefore if I went to the moon I would find green cheese therefore it's advantageous for me to bring crackers and bagels to the moon that's a valid argument (laughs) it's just not sound Because the principle that the moon is made of green cheese is wrong. But my point is, if a man looks at this time before the advent of classic liberalism, the American Revolution, and so forth, and says there were problems with the way that religions were acting, he's right in that fact. He's wrong about the source and the reasoning. But he can still argue for a valid approach to dealing with government, given those historical facts. That's what I'm trying to say. I hope that makes sense. And um, we're going to talk about two other things after the break. And there's another article that I wanted to get to, but I'm very long-winded, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to talk about libertarians, because that's one of the classic things that happens when someone finds out that you've got uh, you're your libertarian uh, curious, as they'll say. And immediately people bring up libertarians, which means basically someone who's a parody of libertarianism is just basically a licentious pervert who wants to use that as a way to justify any sort of lifestyle that they don't want to have any government interference in.